Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... What the hell is that? Michael Preston. It's really about all I can say after that football game, so I went there by Preston, the clown and the Simpsons. I... Back here again on the Coop Center Hour. Thank you, as always, for downloading us, streaming us, however it is you listen to us. We appreciate it so very, very much. Head coach of a much more successful uh, sport at Washington State this year, Todd Schulenberger, uh, will join us in a little bit to talk about the women's soccer team at Washington State. They are playing in the College Cup this Friday afternoon, the Final Four of the NCAA Women's Soccer Tournament. That is unprecedented in Washington State history in terms of the history of this program and frankly, really, in terms of the history of Washington State. It doesn't happen very often. Uh, that game will be broadcast at 4 o'clock on ESPNU this Friday. We will talk chat, talk, talk or chat. What do you want to say, Michael? We will chat with him uh, for about 10 minutes here coming up on the show. We're also going to go over uh, some bowl possibilities. That is still a thing that's going to happen to Washington State. Uh, football this year and with the new CFP rankings out there's kind of a lot to really digest we'll try to give you a good idea of a rooting interest and then as always our dunderhead of the week and ask Michael anything I I just Craig and Jeff talked about it this week on podcast versus everyone and you know I'm not sure there's really different points that I can mirror that haven't already been kind of pounded into oblivion this past, you know, however many days it's been since the game occurred. And I think, you know, and and we've said this before on this show, at this point, that game is a loss until it is not. Because it's quite clear that even though Washington did not have the talent on defense that they've had the past few years, they still have an extraordinarily effective way to stop Mike Leach's offense. And... Mike Leach's stubbornness is a blessing and a curse. He is stubborn because he sticks with a system that has been shown to work. He doesn't deviate from it. He generally doesn't try to get too cute. But his stubbornness is also bad because he sticks with the system and doesn't deviate from it. Doesn't try to get too cute against this defense. And part of it is, you know, he he thinks that this is going to work. This has to work because it works against everybody else. And now for... Seven straight occasions, it has not worked against Washington. And I, I think I'd take issue, you know, I there's there's something to... Jimmy Lake didn't really say anything after this past edition of the game. I think because he at least had an inkling, even though he didn't publicly say so this week, he had an inkling uh, that he was going to be replacing Chris Peterson as the head coach at Washington. And that's another basket of monkeys entirely. I don't really know if that's a saying or not, but... Um, that it's not like like Washington like has this figured out, right? I mean, I mean they kind of do to an extent, but everybody else could just do this if they wanted to, right? Like Stanford could do this, but David Shaw once again gave up forty nine points to Washington State. Like like Washington is unique in that the game plan of rush three, drop eight. Is it, that that's not unique? But what's unique about Washington is the athletes they have on defense to stop it, and the discipline and the ability 
to tackle in space that, frankly, no other defense in this conference has. Stanford did the same thing. Oregon State did the same thing. ASU really did the same thing. They tried to mix up blitz packages in front. They tried to mix things up in front. That still didn't work. Every other team in this conference tries to do it. It's really those Chris Peterson, Pete Kwiatkowski, Jimmy Lake disciples that make it work. Justin Wilcox at Cal, again, has this figured out. But again, he has those athletes on defense that can make it work. So I don't think there's really any special sauce in terms of stopping this defense that these other coaches just haven't figured out. And Jimmy Lake and all of his brilliance has. It's that, yeah, the theory is you drop eight and rush three but you need to have the athletes that allow you to do that and don't allow Washington State to open up the top like Washington has like Cal has so it's 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 not this you know everybody else is just going to look at it and copy it because Oregon couldn't do it and again look at the defenses that did it this year Washington Cal and Oregon or in, in Utah excuse me those have the athletes capable of doing this to this offense. The difference is this year, you also didn't have a defense in Washington State, at least against Cal and Utah. You didn't have a defense in Washington State that could force turnovers or force anybody to get off the field. Now, the Washington State defense played better last week, but again, there there is a difference there in that when the offense is struggling to move the football against those defenses that can slow it down, you need a defense that can do the same thing to the opposition's offense, that can force turnovers, that can get that other team off the field quickly to give you more opportunities with the football. Look at those Utah and Cal games from 2018. That's exactly what happened. And frankly, that Cal game was closer than it should have been because of that stupid fumble out of the back of the end zone. But that is what happened. You force turnovers and you put the ball back in your offense's hands and continue to give them opportunities because eventually they will find the end zone. And let's not act like Washington State didn't have those opportunities in this game. They got into the red zone a lot. The problem is they only converted once for a touchdown. That's the problem is that Washington cashed in every single time they got inside the 20. Wazoo did once. With a touchdown, anyway. I mean, that that's that's the story of the game. Is the Cougs seem to be carving them up, relatively speaking, five yards at a time. That's less than you want on a per-play average out of this offense. But they were picking up first downs. They were moving the chains. So this was not the dominant Washington defensive performance we've seen in this game in years past. But when Washington State got into the red zone, they did not score. And I and, and, and to a level that they have not done so far this year. And that's the difference in the ball game. Maybe not in terms of a winning difference, but in not making it look quite so bad, right? So where does that leave us? It leaves us with the usual two days of consternation on social media about Mike Leach not being able to win this football game. And I, I think I said this and it's, you know, yeah, this offense is going to find, you know, any offense is going to find a defense that's perfectly suited to stop it. The unfortunate thing is, is that that defense is your rivals and that sucks. 
The solution is not more in-state players. Washington State recruits every dang in-state player there is. Joe Tryon, who had a couple of sacks on Friday, guess who he was committed to before he went to Washington? Take a wild guess. Take a wild freaking guess. As Jeff and Craig mentioned, you remember Bishop Sankey? Committed to Wazoo and then went to UW. That's not how you're going to win this battle. It's just by recruiting more in-state kids. For God's sake, UW has just as many kids from California as Washington State does, and they don't seem to have a pride problem with this game. And now what you worry about is these teams, these Washington State teams, getting too tight in this game because they know how important it is to everybody. And at this point, I think a win for me is just going to be more relief that it finally happened and that the monkey is finally off your back. But... It's and that's two monkey analogies in like eight minutes, so you're welcome. But I I, I think that you know I, I I don't look at this game and say this is why Mike Leach must go like some folks did after that game. Washington State is not in a position to be getting rid of a head coach because he can't beat the rival. Michigan is barely in a position to be getting rid of a head coach because he can't beat the rival, and that's Michigan. That's Michigan. Those fans think a lot more of their program than it actually is, and I say that as a secondary Michigan fan, but yeah, they they are not going to get rid of Jim Harbaugh just because he can't beat Ohio State. Believe you me, that is not going to happen. Jim Harbaugh might leave to coach Carolina Panthers, so in that case, they might finally find someone who can beat Ohio State, but it's not like they have this sterling record this century against the Buckeyes anyway. And so what you're left with is, yeah, it stinks that the one game a year you can count on Mike Leach not winning is the one against the Huskies. That stinks. I hate it. I really genuinely have a huge distaste for it. And it stinks. I wish it was something more like Oregon where Mike Leach has beaten them plenty since he arrived or Stanford or Oregon State or Colorado, or Utah, or SC, UCLA, anybody who just, you have a more even shot at beating. Without Mike, I will note, recruits as good as them. Maybe it'll be different with Jimmy Lake as a head coach. I don't know. It's not encouraging because Jimmy Lake coached the defense. So it would have been more encouraging if Bush Ham didn't become the head coach. But he's not. So, here's where we're left, is that it is frustrating as it can possibly get. But I don't think, again, that UW has like this secret formula that everybody hasn't figured out and only they have. They have the exact thing you need to stop this offense, just like Cal does. And just like Utah did this year. The exact personnel. To stop it. There's nothing special about what they're doing. And you have combined that with a quarterback who is inexperienced at starting. Though I think the world of Anthony Gordon and his performance and his record-breaking performances. You have a guy who's inexperienced at starting. And then you have a defense who's just not going to get you the ball back. They rarely did it this year. And we harped on that a lot. Is that... Even as, you know, the last year's defense was uh, maybe average. Maybe. But they generated turnovers. They generated stops. They got the ball back quicker than 
you expected them to. And when you can't do that on defense against the Huskies, and they're also perfectly suited to make sure your offense goes nowhere, then that's where you're left. And more importantly, when you can't cash it in in the end zone. So, that game is done. It is over with. The Washington State Cougars still have one more to play. And we'll talk about where they're going to play, perhaps a little bit later on after we're done talking to Coach Schulenberger. But I think at the very least, you have to be in... I mean, it sucks, especially because you're in such a bad headspace when that's the last game of the year, every single year. I just want it moved to Labor Day. That's not too much to ask, I think. But... You're 6-6, six and six. you're in a bowl game for the fifth consecutive year in school history, and for the sixth time in the last seven years. That's pretty cool. And I know the bowl game, it's not the Alamo Bowl, it's not the Holiday Bowl, it's not even the Sun Bowl this year. But you're going to get those extra practices, and especially for another quarterback battle going into the fall next year, that's very valuable. Gunnar Cruz and Cameron Cooper are going to have to separate themselves from one another. Heck, even if Mike Leach brings in another QB transfer, they're going to need these practices to try to elevate themselves above each other and perhaps someone else. Lord knows the defense could use the extra reps. Lord knows this offensive line, they got whipped at times against Washington. They could use some extra reps. Anthony Gordon could use some to get out of whatever headspace UW put him in. So at the very least, at the very least, you are getting something valuable out of this. And again, I, I, I know people complain about there being too many bowls and yada, 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 and you're, you're awarding, you know, rewarding mediocrity and whatever. But you know what? In this current system, the way it's set up, when you have college kids who aren't compensated fairly, and I know we've talked about that before, we can have our disagreements with it, but when you have these college kids who bust their butts and then have guys like me who come on a podcast and criticize them all the time, it's kind of nice to wrap up your season with some more practices, just some more time around your friends and your coaches, and you get to go to a place like Las Vegas or Phoenix, and you get some free stuff. I mean, that's kind of nice, Right? That's a nice little reward for a season of grinding it out and of, you know, putting everything you have into every game. It's a nice little reward. And I don't really see anything wrong with it because I enjoy watching the bowl games. I enjoy, you know, the the Bahamas Bowl. I'm watching that. I'm watching. If they go to the Vegas Bowl, I'm watching that game at the airport. Like, don't stop me. My, My birthday is after Christmas, it's on the 30th, I'm going to spend all day in my pajamas watching bowl games. That is what I want to do. And there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that kind of reward for kids after a really long, hard season. And frankly, some of those same alums who will complain about the you know rewarding mediocrity will go to the Las Vegas Bowl or the Cheez-It Bowl because it's in Vegas or Phoenix. I will go to the Vegas Bowl <laughs> if that's where they end up, but I also don't complain about mediocrity. So on that, I have the moral high ground. A rare time on this show. Head coach of the women's soccer team. That's a weird way to end it. But we're going to go talk to Coach Schulenberger again. I don't think we mentioned it uh, in the interview because we didn't have a TV partner yet. But again, you can watch the Cougs play the Tar Heels this Friday at 4 o'clock on ESPNU. If you want to go to the game, please do that. It's in San Jose at Avaya Stadium, 4 p.m. on Friday. There might be more people at that game than the Pac-12 championship just up the road. 
Don't know that for sure, but I can speculate. Todd Schulenberger on the other side of the break here on the Cook Center Hour. Back here on the Coug Center Hour, and it was one heck of a weekend for the Washington State women's soccer team advancing to their first ever, I mean, it was their first ever lead eight, but now we're in their first ever national semifinal in the Women's College Cup. They'll play North Carolina Friday at four in San Jose at Avaya Stadium. TV partner yet to be determined. Their head coach is Todd Schulenberger. He joins us on the show now, and Coach... Uh, I, I got one really simple question off the top. How does it feel for you, this coaching staff, this group of players? How does it feel to make history at Washington State? It feels great. I mean, I don't think we'll be able to appreciate any of this until it's all said and done. Hopefully it's not all said and done until next Monday morning. Yeah. But uh, for now, you know, we're taking this game by uh, day by day, game by game, and uh, we're healthy. Uh, the team's confident. Uh, they're hungry. And uh, we're excited for this opportunity on Friday night. How did it feel on – because, uh, you know, I, I think everybody was pretty stressed out watching that game <laughs> on, on Friday. Uh, we were all collectively stressed. I don't know how players and coaches do it without getting too stressed out. But how did it feel to see that ball head into the net and know you guys were going to go to the College Cup? Was it was it just kind of this, you know, these players have worked so hard and they deserved it? Or was it just that moment of excitement of like, I can't believe this is happening? Well, I think we can believe it's happening because we are a good team and we're mm -hmm. the greatest conference in America. And uh, we were believers all season. You know, this game of soccer is tricky sometimes. And sometimes the ball goes in, sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't matter how, bad, how much better you're than the other team or not. And there was a stretch in the middle of the year when Morgan Weaver for herself didn't score some goals. And the team was a little bit of a drought. And we stayed positive. We didn't get down on each other. We didn't look for a pity party. And uh, you got to believe that good teams and good players find a way. And it, it you know, transformed and went back around the right direction. So when that ball went in the net, I mean, we created opportunities. I think it was 15 to 15 shots. So there was there was definitely no issues whatsoever, and we were yeah. excited with it. Has it been a big challenge to be on the road this much? Because you guys were in Charlottesville uh, not last weekend, the weekend before to play Virginia and West Virginia, and then you were in Columbia, South Carolina, and you guys, I think, made the wise choice to just stay back east and be out there because the team had the week off of school anyway. Um, has it been hard to be on the road this much and have to do that much winning in environments where you are not at home and the crowd is not your biggest fan? No, I think a mature team can handle it. We show we could handle it. I mean, two years ago, we went to the Sweet 16. Remember, we were on the road for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And the back end of that last Sweet 16 game, um, it was uh, something where you lose, you're heartbroken, and, but they were tired. They were, I just, it just didn't feel right then. You know, it didn't feel right, even though we were better in the late eight two years ago. But now, uh, it just felt right this whole trip. We're together. We're, I said we're healthy. This locker room is pretty special. Um, you know, you guys don't get to see what I see inside that locker room all the time. So that's uh, something really neat now how we're collecting. Mm -hmm. What worked so well against Virginia in that first game in Charlottesville? Because that was a team coach that they'd given up eight goals, I think, all season. You guys scored three times, which is... I mean, I'm not, I'm not great at math, but that's a lot given what they had given up all year. What was working specifically for you guys in that game? Because it was very, it was Washington State would score, the Virginia would score, back and forth until that third and final goal for Wazoo. So what was really working for you guys in that game? I think our speed, athleticism, our pressing ability. I mean, in that conference, you got UNC, Florida State, Virginia. You got a lot mm -hmm. of other great teams. So they, they get to see each other once in a while. This back 12, you see each other, people like that all the time. So I think we were prepared. And not that they weren't prepared, because they're an unbelievable team. They're a Final Four caliber team as well. But, you know, they haven't seen one of those teams in a while. I mean, they haven't seen 
a team with athletic speed and size like we have. And I, I don't think, we, I think, I know we did. We shocked them. And then, as you say, you sort of got into them, you kept going, and things were working. But we, we were in, what's funny about this is, not to say funny, but every game stop, you can sit in and park the boat, park the bus, whatever, excuse me, and just sit back and defend for your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're out shooting teams, we're out scoring teams, we're out fouling teams, we're out possession teams. So, we're, our foot's on the gas, so that's what I'm most excited about. But I think these girls feel like there's no way to beat us right now, and that's the way we attitude is. Yeah, speaking of foot on the gas, and you mentioned Morgan Weaver's kind of goal lull in the middle of the season. That's something I'd noticed, too. Uh, you know, she went basically a month and a half without scoring, but now has nine in her last seven games, including two against West Virginia in the win in the, uh, in the Sweet 16 game. I... The superlatives on her are incredible. We talk, I think we talked about, we've talked about it every year since she was a sophomore. But how big is it to have her back leading this offense and being the person who's so dangerous with the ball at her feet near the goal? It's great, and uh, she's loose. When she's loose, everyone's loose, and uh, that's how Morgan is. Great leader, great goal scorer, great captain, great teammate, and uh, um, you know when your best players step up, these games now are big moments for big players. And if they step up, uh, the, the team keeps going forward. Ella Dieterich and your defense again. On the flip side, you're scoring a lot of goals right now. Like you say, foot on the gas. You're playing offense, but they've also only given up two goals uh, in this entire tournament. How big has it been knowing for your offense that we can go score, we can go put our foot on the gas, and know that just nothing is going to get in the net behind us? That's great. You're right. Absolutely right. Our goalkeeping and our team defense, our back line has been great. You, you beat a 14-ranked Memphis team that scored 60-some goals this year, and you give up nine. You go and play Virginia, you knock three on them, give up two, then you shut out West Virginia 3-0, then you shut out the SEC champs, mm-hmm. SEC and ACC champs. So that is what wins championships. We all know it's not cliche or not, but defense wins championships. And if our defense does not, I know our offense is going to be ready to go. Has there been anything that surprised you kind of about this run through the tournament, whether it's about the team or whether about the tournament itself? Because, I, you know, I, I think all coaches want to be as prepared as they can be, but has there been anything that has kind of like jumped out at you and said, whoa, I wasn't expecting that? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to say. We built this team under... Uh, athleticism and, and we're a hard-working bunch and we're unique we're different we're a fun style and we're not the uh style that some play like the stanford game or the ucla game i mean teams like that and so we got to work and earn everything here so what i'm actually surprised about is not that we're winning these games it's how we're winning these games mm-hmm. and i go back to the shot count this the opportunities we're creating you know you can work so hard and get one in soccer and still win that game you're like wow we survived one there but we're we're not surviving. We're actually winning, not just the score, but the environment and the game, and especially on the road. So that's probably the biggest thing there. You mentioned it earlier, toughest conference in the country, and given the composition of the Final Four, uh, I am very inclined to agree with you, and I think I've thought this before, but there was a chance this could have been an all-Pac-12 Final Four. The only team that's not in the Pac-12 is the one you're playing on Friday in North Carolina. I, I just... I think we talk about this every year, but top to bottom, this league is just insanely difficult, and it's an incredibly hard league to get through on a week-to-week basis, right? And how well does that prepare you for this tournament? I mean, the conference is the best, as we said, and it prepares us. I mean, there's no comparison to playing anybody that you do day in, day out. You can be number one in this conference or number 12. If you don't show up, you're in trouble. And if you don't manage your wins and manage your losses, you're also in trouble. So we've been there, done that. We've um, uh, had, a, would say, a, a good 
conference here, Brian. I mean, there's two games out there that I'd like to have back, but you know, to go second place in the Pac-12, which it would have resulted in, or take the Final Four, I'll take the Final Four. So, uh, and to try to have a chance at the national championship. So, you know, it, it's falling into place, right? Uh, North Carolina is a great story program, one of the probably not probably the best NCAA women's soccer coach. And he may not have the most wins in any sport. I'm not sure between him and the women's basketball coach who does, but yeah. Anson and that program is awesome. But it's just another business trip for us, and our girls aren't even looking into that. And and we're going to give UNC everything we got here. You mentioned, I mean, again, I, this was kind of my last question for you. This is the winningest program in the history of this sport. It, uh, you look at the records and the national championships North Carolina has won, and it's insane. Is is How hard is it to kind of keep from getting intimidated by that? I mean, all this, and you get the honor of playing this team in the Final Four. Is, is it kind of difficult to keep the blinders on, or do you guys feel confident that you can do that? We feel confident. I mean, our team is a hardworking bunch. We're all from different backgrounds and places, and, you know, none of our resumes are sexy. I know mean, our kids, you know, but that doesn't bother them. They don't look like, oh, my gosh, Jaren Headlights, who will be playing now? Again, we see these teams all the time. Um, and just because the teams want more national champs than now doesn't mean anything. The record is 0-0. Zero zero. I've said it all postseason. It's 0-0. Zero and zero. Record and score will be going to these games. And the girls just continue to get it done. How much fun is everybody having right now? I mean, I know we kind of talk seriously about all this stuff, but this is a lot of fun, isn't it, right? I mean, how, how much fun is everybody having on this team? That's what my colleagues and family and friends you tell me, Coach, you better have fun here. And, and I'll be lying if I say I'm not, but I'll also be lying to say that I'm having a ton of fun because it's, it's, it's what you want, it's what you work for. Yep. But, you know, Sunday morning, I've been at the office already at 5 this morning on Sunday. You know, that's what it is. That's what it takes. The girls relax. It's all matter. I'll have fun when this is done. But uh, right now, we're still working hard. This man is up earlier, I mean, before the sun is, uh, to make sure this team can advance to the national championship <laughs> game. Uh, they play North Carolina at Avaya Stadium in San Jose Friday afternoon at 4 at TV Partners. Still to be found. I believe it will be on one of the ESPNs, though. Coach Todd Schulenberger, thank you so much for taking some time to join us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Back here on the Coog Center Hour. Again, our thanks to Coach Todd Schulenberger. The soccer team plays Friday at 4. You can catch it on ESPNU against North Carolina Tar Heels. All that, and they get the honor of playing the best team program in the sports history that doesn't hardly seem fair uh so we said we would talk about the bowl possibilities uh earlier we will do that just now uh it's all last year was a little clearer right like after you lose the apple cup and you don't go to the pac-12 championship game you're going to go to the alamo bowl that was pretty clear last year things get a little more muddled when you're at the bottom of things and uh, so here's basically kind of a Cliff Notes version of how bowl selection goes for the Pac-12 Conference. The bowls don't care about how you finish within your own division. What they basically do is they stack the teams based off conference record as if there were no division. So there are just seven bowl-eligible teams in the Pac-12. Utah and Oregon at 8-1. and one. They are That's a whole mess we'll get into in a second. USC at 7-2. and two. Then ASU, Cal, UW at 4-5, and five, and Wazoo at 3-6. and six. So, basically what happens is the Rose Bowl picks the Pac-12 champion. They just do, generally, if that champion is not in the college football playoff. And more on that in a second. Then from there down, you have the Alamo Bowl, the Holiday Bowl, the Red Box Bowl, the Sun Bowl, the Vegas Bowl, and the Cheez-It Bowl. That's the order they get to pick in. And the Alamo, Holiday, and Red Box Bowl can pick from any team they want that is in that tier, you know, without, 
you know, once the, the teams above them get picked, they can pick from anybody left in that tier or teams within a win in conference. So in theory, if Oregon loses the Pac-12 title game, they could pick between Oregon and SC. And then the Holiday Bowl would take the other team. Okay? And then the Red Box Bowl gets to pick between all the four and five teams. So good for them, I guess. So in theory, they're going to pick, you know, whoever they want. And then everybody else, the Sun Bowl, the Vegas Bowl, and the Cheese Bowl have to go in order based off who's left. They can't drop down and take a team with fewer wins. So this is why it didn't really work out for Washington State over the weekend because ASU and Cal won. If they hadn't, they'd be three and six and at least offer the other bowls, you know, they'd offer Vegas a choice if that is your ultimate wanted destination or the Cheese Bowl a choice or the Cheese Bowl would just get the last team. So here is kind of where we are right now. Realistically, you could, I mean, it, it would take a lot of doing, but the Red Box Bowl could reach all the way down and take Washington State. They're not going to do that. There's no way they do that with Cal Bowl eligible right there up the road a piece. Okay. So now what you're basically left with, if you're a Washington State fan and you want to go to the Las Vegas Bowl, you are rooting hard, 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 hard for Utah to wax Oregon this weekend. And then for the winner of the Big 12 title game in Oklahoma and Baylor to not vault Utah and for LSU to win. Okay, we'll go over all that again, okay? Because the new rankings came out and Utah was at five, Oklahoma at six, Baylor at seven. Okay, here's what you want if you want to go to Las Vegas. You want Utah to beat the crap out of Oregon. You want Oklahoma or Baylor to win a close one, probably preferably Baylor to win that game close and then you must must have LSU beat Georgia that gets Utah into the college football playoff that means Oregon goes to the Rose Bowl and it opens up the Las Vegas Bowl to take Washington State if Utah doesn't win the conference that means they are going to the Rose Bowl there's a very outside chance they could get invited to a New Year's Six Bowl with Alabama dropping out of the top 10. But don't count on that. Do not count on them going to the Cotton Bowl or one of the other New Year's Six Bowls. So that is what you need if you want to go to Las Vegas. If you want to go to Phoenix, you're rooting for King Chaos here, right? You're rooting for Oregon to win. You're rooting for Oklahoma to beat the crap out of Baylor. You're rooting for... I mean, whatever else. That that pretty much pretty much Oregon winning that football game on Friday is what gets you to Phoenix. Now, there's still the issue of these bowls can actually still negotiate on their own about who goes where in the bowl season, right? So even if the worst happens and what is sitting in front of the Las Vegas Bowl is, you know, one of Cal, UW, and Arizona State. I don't think UW would get all the way down to Las Vegas Bowl. So it's going to, and I don't think Cal would either. So really, it's going to be Arizona State and Washington State. Arizona State was just in the Las Vegas Bowl last year. They lost to Fresno State. 
Washington State was obviously not in that game. So is there enough appeal for the Las Vegas Bowl representatives to call and negotiate with the Cheez-It Bowl and say that, hey, look, we want Washington State. ASU is literally in your backyard. You have to think the Cheez-It Bowl would be pretty thrilled with being able to get their hands on Arizona State after not last year. Cal ended up in that game in what was a glorious football game filled with like seven punts and six interceptions in the first half alone. If you don't think that's beautiful, then I I don't even want to chat football with you ever. <laughs> but that that is still an outside possibility. And as I expressed in the opening, it's the one I am hoping for. It's the one I can make work. And Lord knows that Washington State fans, again, enjoy themselves some Las Vegas. So, depending on what your interest is this weekend, realistically, it's two bowls that Washington State can end up in. It's the Vegas Bowl. It's the it's the Cheez-It Bowl. If Utah wins handily, they probably get into the CFP as long as LSU is beating Georgia, and I think they will. So, that allows the Las Vegas Bowl to pick Washington State, and then the Cheez-It Bowl can take anybody else they dang well please. Now, if what you're looking for is an optimal opponent for the Las Vegas Bowl, that team is the number one Mountain West team. And that, and so the Las Vegas Bowl is the number one bowl for the Mountain West. And so how it ends up going is, and this is the last year it will be for them too, because next year it goes to a Big Ten or an SEC team coming to Vegas with the Pac-12. Um, what you want is for Boise State, to win the Mountain West Championship and then for Cincinnati to beat Memphis in the American Championship because the highest ranked group of five team or group of six team, group of five, group of six, I can't remember, the other lesser conferences gets into the New Year's Six Bowls automatically, okay? And right now, Memphis is at 17, Boise State's at 19, and Cincinnati's at 20. Memphis wins and they are going to stay above Boise State no matter what. If Cincinnati wins and Boise State wins, that means Boise State in all likelihood stays ahead of Cincinnati and that would send the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors to Las Vegas. That is a matchup I want. It's the last Vegas Bowl they're going to play at Sam Boyd Stadium before they tear it down or do whatever the hell they're going to do with it once the new stadium in Vegas is ready. And what a way to send the scoreboard out, right? With just two teams who do not care for defense. I think I heard Craig and Jeff mention like Hawaii's defense is even worse than either Oregon State or Washington State. That's that strength on strength again. Or strength on weakness again. That's two offenses who can just score points by bunches and two defenses who couldn't stop a you know a heavy breath in a wet paper bag. Oh my god. How fun would that be? That would be just a ton. I'd much rather play Hawaii. You know, even if we lose a game, I'd much rather play Hawaii just for entertainment factor than Boise State. That would not be a fun football game, mostly because I think we would lose it. But that would not be a very fun football game. So that that's kind of the gist of everything. I think you, again, for Vegas, you're hoping Utah wins and wins handily and that LSU wins. That's probably about all you need. You might worry about Oklahoma vaulting Utah if they beat the crap out of Baylor. And if you want to go to Phoenix, you probably just need Oregon to win. Because 
Utah getting a New Year's Six bid. It's in the cards, but less likely than anything else. Dunderhead of the Week. Ask Michael anything on the other side of the fight song on the Coop Center app. Thunderhead of the week. And this one goes out to more than one person, really a big old group of people. It goes out to every football team I root for, mostly. Four football games I was focused on from Friday through Monday night this weekend, and three of them went wrong. Like, and three within 36 hours of each Actually, pretty much 24 hours of each other. Washington State loses to Washington. I already mentioned I'm a Michigan fan. They got their who kicked in by Ohio State. And Woodenville, my alma mater, played hated arch-rival Bothell in the state football semifinals and lost to Bothell. And the, and the Seahawks almost coughed one up last night after they had like a 17-point lead late in the game to Kirk Cousins' country club selection committee looking rear-end. Him and Mitchell Trubisky, you know they're the ones... Oh, we don't think Teddy is quite cottage lake material. <laughs> Why did I do that? Anyway. Like, literally one game went right and it couldn't even be stress-free. Because the Seahawks never get to be stress-free. They never get to allow you to have a normal heartbeat throughout an entire football game, as do my Washington State Cougars. They don't allow that either. But literally, almost every team... I care about Woodenville, eh, whatever. I just know that the head coach is still Wayne Maxwell and he once gave me like a B minus in PE, but because I'm, you know, obviously a very athletic person. Uh, but like, like three, three of them within 24 hours, basically, let me down. All three. And then it took a minor miracle for the Seahawks to hold on because I was puckered, like turning a lump of coal into a diamond for the better part of half an hour at the house. Oh my god. I just I just want an easy weekend. It's all I want once. It's all I ask for. Just an easy weekend. Can't even get that. Nope. Never gonna get it. Ever. All my teams except the Seahawks. Even them kinda. Dunderhead of the week. Ask Michael any time. I just I need to choose a new hobby. Football. It'll take years off my life if it hasn't already. I, is that good or bad? I don't know. Better than smoking, I guess. Maybe not better than smoking. I have no idea. Ask Michael anything time. At the last zoom, Max Corgi is Leech going to the Hogs, Arkansas. No idea. I don't even know if he's just pining for a raise, more money for his assistance. I have no idea at this point. And until it happens, maybe it'll happen right as we release the show and just completely make this null and void, but whatever. 
I have no idea. At Coach underscore Smith 99, Brandon Smith. I coach hockey. I want to know your top choices for the Seattle NHL team name. If you don't say totems, we have a problem. That's actually, it isn't. <laughs> so that's what's really funny. I like Seattle Emeralds. It, it has the name, and I know it's kind of not like really tough name. Uh, I like the Seattle Rainiers. I really did like that. I like the Seattle Cougars. I like the Seattle Sockeyes. I'm a sucker for that name. I wanted the Seattle Metropolitans. Uh, they didn't have that one. I'll be happy as long as it's not the Seattle Kraken. That is such a dumb name. It seems kitschy to me. I, I don't I don't need that in my life, please. Please. Lil Taco 21. I love that handle. Thomas Beeson. If Leach were to leave, who would be options at head coach and would any of them have a chance at winning here? Uh I don't really know right now. I think it's kind of like. You know, you kind of know once it happens. Graham Harrell's out there and is the obvious choice. Does Alex Grinch want to come back? I probably, you know, I, I'm, I think we're just thinking of guys who've been in the program before, but I don't want to know. I don't want to think about it until I have to. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Um, I would be fine with Graham Harrell because it's kind of the same system. Maybe see if Sonny Dykes wants to leave SMU for another shot at a Power 5 job. That might be a good option. A couple of uh, defensive coordinator questions from... Waitman K, Casey Waitman, we know who you are, sir. And Nick Schulte, 10, kind of the same. Uh, if we don't lose Coach Mike Leach this week, we can either continue with Rock Bell and Tony, Darcel McBath, or DC, or go in a different direction. What would you do? And if a change was made, who would you like to see the Cougs bring in as the new DC? That one from Nick, the first one from KC. Uh, I don't think they're going to stick with Rock Bell and Tony and McBath as a defensive coordinator. Again, you're probably going to look for. Either a guy who needs his reputation rebuilt like Tracy Clay's. Amazing how that worked out for him. Or someone kind of like Alex Grinch. Someone who's out there that nobody really knows about. Who has a good defensive mind. And that Mike Leach is confident can, you know, be good for a few years before he jumps ship to head elsewhere. I, again, I, I, I don't know a name. But I don't think you keep Bellantoni and McBath in that position. Not, Bellantoni, when he was... Once a DC, I think at Florida Atlantic or Florida International, he wasn't that great. The num numbers-wise, the defense wasn't that good anyway. And McBath is, boy, the way his secondary played this year and how many of his players left, I don't think you really want him to be the DC. That might be, that might be a little rough. At Chris McKinter, Chris McKinter, how long do you need to be awake before it's acceptable to take a nap? My wife would tell you like 30 minutes. Uh, I think it just kind of depends on how much sleep you get. I would say six hours though. So if you like wake up at eight. And you want to take a nap at 2. Like, my office is like prime napping temperature in the afternoon. Because the sun comes through the window at just the right angle. And it's like, oh, perfect napping temperature. It's just, oh, it's so hard to not take a nap. At Denny 29 our old friend Brad Denny. You can take three current Pac-12 head coaches and drop them in as the new head coach at any other Pac-12 school. Either for great fit or pure entertainment value. Which three and where? Mike Leach at Stanford. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm taking him away from me. But... Oh my God, Mike Leach at Stanford. That would be hilarious. Um, who else? Hermit Cal. That would be funny. I'm just going for funny. No, you know what? Maybe Hermit Utah. That might be... Uh, Hermit Cal or Utah, I would go with that. And then... Oh man, who else? Clay Helton at Oregon. And I don't know... Ooh, no, no. Clay Helton at Washington. Just for funniness. Because it's just the opposite direction of where Sark went. And you know that, that UW fans would hate that. Because they think they're SC. 
at Ryan Callie 18 Ryan Callahan. Four questions in one. Favorite Christmas movie, least favorite, most overrated, most over underrated. Uh, favorite Christmas movie is A Christmas Story. I'm I'm like I am actually a hipster on that. We've been watching that movie for 20 years in my house. My least favorite Christmas movie. I don't think I really have. Oh, Mr. Bean's Christmas. My mother-in-law watches that every Christmas. I just I watch it because they want to. I just I just don't like it. Uh, most overrated Christmas movie. Oh man, that's hard. Again, a Muppet Christmas Carol. That's another one of my wife's family traditions. I hate to keep taking those from her wife's family tradition, but I just don't like that movie. It's so poorly acted, and Michael Caine was clearly just looking for a paycheck. Yeah, and most underrated Home Alone. Even though everybody loves it, Home Alone. Superb, superb Christmas movie. At P Cornwell 09, World War One or the or the sequel. <laughs> Jesus. I've studied World War Two more. I think as everybody has, mostly in their history classes. Uh, at JT the Ginger, can you make a coup Christmas wish list of football wants needs regarding the bowl game, offseason coaching staff changes, and positions to recruit for 2020? Anything on defense? Defense again and then the Vegas Bowl. We'll talk to you guys next week when we know where we're going on the Kook Center Hour.